Night was falling over the harbour of Bristol, England, and in the orphanage founded by George Mueller and his wife Mary, the kids were getting ready for bed. George was in his study when Mary runs in in alarm and says, George, we're completely out of milk. We don't even have enough for the oatmeal for the kids' breakfast tomorrow morning. George laid aside his pen. Now, this wasn't the first time that funds have been short and they didn't have enough for the next day. The Mueller's took in their first group of uh, 30 orphan girls in 1836, but by now they had over 100 orphan kids with them. And this was a time in Victorian England where being an orphan meant that you were basically doomed to wander the streets and had no future. George, though, had decided from the outset when he started these orphanages never to ask people directly for money and never to go into debt and borrow money. Instead, he believed that by praying and asking God, God would supply all their needs. So that's what he did. He lays aside his pen that day, that night, and he goes up to Mary and he says, we must pray. And together with two of the employees of his orphanage, they got down on their knees and asked God to supply their needs. Little mouths depended on them um, for what they would now be praying for. Moments later, a knock comes on the door. Mary goes and answers it. She comes in and, there, and there's a letter. And she says, George, this came for you. Better open it. He opens the letter and guess what? Inside was a sum of money. Um, not just enough, but more than enough for what they needed for the next day. In fact, minutes later, two more letters came with more money and pledges of support. And this kind of thing would become regular in the life and ministry of George Mueller, um, the great founder of orphanages and schools. I don't know if you've heard of George, but George Mueller over the next 60 years housed over 10,000 orphans in Bristol and he built five orphanages that today each one would have cost millions of dollars and it was completely financed. As I said, right, he never asked for money and he never went into debt, completely financed by prayer. Today, we want to talk about the most incredible and outwardly powerful thing that you can be doing in lockdown and that is to pray. And why don't I talk about not just any kind of prayer, not just, you know, conversing and enjoying time with God and intimacy with God, communing with God. That's wonderful. And that is something worthwhile and something that, you know, I wish I could preach a sermon on in and of itself. But today I want to focus on a particular kind of prayer called intercessory prayer, right? Outward looking prayer. It's when we pray for others. It's the kind of prayer that houses 10,000 orphans. It's the kind of prayer that moves mountains. It's the kind of prayer that shakes nations. And unfortunately, it is a kind of prayer, myself included, uh, that I use so little, that we use so little in our lives. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us through this journey. Heavenly Father, please, I pray that through today, we might have hearts to listen to your word, what you say about prayer the privilege and the power of prayer. And today I pray that you would make us into a people that pray like that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk about is that passage we just read, because here we have an example of intercessory prayer or intercession in Genesis 18. Um, in Genesis 18, we read before Abraham gets three visitors from the Lord. One of them actually is the Lord, is God himself. And then we read early in verses 17 to 21, um, God decides to let Abraham in on his plans to see if the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah really were as wicked as, 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 as has been reported and bad enough for him to destroy them completely. And the reason we find out in verse 19 that God wants to tell Abraham is because Abraham was special to him. 
Uh, just a bit of context. Um, God had made promises to Abraham right back in Genesis 12, that through Abraham's descendants, God would start again and reverse the effects of sin and the fall that happened all, those, um, all the time before, back in Genesis chapter 3. And so as these three men, these angels, turned to leave Sodom, uh, significantly, we read here about Abraham's physical posture. I wonder if you notice how deliberately this story emphasizes what Abraham does at this point. The first thing he does, verse 22, Abraham remains standing before the Lord. And then verse 23, Abraham approaches God. And then in verse 24, Abraham speaks. I want to suggest to you that this is intercession right here. See, intercession is when God's people stand, approach God, and then speak to Him. See, they stand between God and someone else. They approach God with respectful confidence in order that they might speak to God on behalf of that someone else. Now, we use intercessors in real life, don't we? If you ever have to go to a court, that's what a lawyer is for. They intercede for you to the judge, to the court, to the jury. If you're buying and selling properties, you use real estate agents. They're kind of like intercessors. Migration agents, migration lawyers, if you're trying to migrate or, or, or apply for a visa in Australia. They're all examples of intercession. But guess what? The history of God's dealings with humanity as a whole, the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament Right, is a history of God raising up intercessors and mediators, people that need to go between God and others. Now, the rest of this uh, narrative in Genesis 18 we read earlier, it highlights just how bold and persistent Abraham is, right? In his intercession. Remember what he says? He says, God, far be it from you to sweep away the righteous and the wicked. What if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom? Will you still destroy everyone? God says no. But then Abraham goes and says, well, what about if there's five less, if there's 45? Well, if there's 45, I won't destroy it, God says. Well, what about 40? No, I won't destroy it for 40. And 30 and 20 and 10. You see what Abraham's doing? If you've ever been um, in markets, in, uh, especially in places like Southeast Asia, right? this is haggling, right? Haggling. And how bold it is that Abraham is actually haggling with the Lord of the universe. I want you to notice a couple of other things about this intercession. Apart from his haggling, bold persistence, um, you notice that Abraham, he doesn't forget who God is. So even in haggling, he is supremely humble, isn't he? He recognizes that God is God and he is not, which actually highlights his boldness, right? He recognizes that God is so great, and yet he's bold enough to, hag- uh, to, to, to even hassle and haggle with God. The second thing to notice there is how Abraham appeals to God's character. The reason why God, you might spare these people is because of who you are. He doesn't come to God and say, hey, look, I'm special. You've chosen me. He certainly doesn't come on behalf of, uh, because of the the, the merits of Sodom and Gomorrah and says, you know, look at them and, and these poor people. No, no, no. He appeals to God's justice. Verse 25, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, how does this intercession all pan out? Well, if you read on to the next chapter, you'll find out that not even 10 righteous people could be found to spare the whole city. God does rain fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's one of the Old Testament passages about judgment. That itself raises, you know, I'm sure all sorts of questions um, like the flood of Genesis 6. How could God do that? Now, that's a topic for another time. But I guess we need to know that for God to do this, if he was willing to, to spare the whole city, even for 10 people, 
I forgot to do this. This must have been wicked so thoroughly, so beyond anything we can imagine. And if you also want to know, God, in fact, rescues four people out of that city. So he, they don't perish along with the wicked. But coming back to intercession, I want to say to you that this is what God is looking for today, right? This is what God is looking for. He's looking for people to be like Abraham, to intercede for those around them. Who's going to do that, right? For our neighbors, intercede for our work colleagues, for our school and uni friends, for our country, for our world. Who will stand between them and disaster, both immediate disasters like disease and war and poverty and persecution, as well as eternal disaster, judgment and hell? Right? Will you be that intercessor? Will we? Well, that's the question. Every religion has some form of prayer. You guys all know this, right? But every religion focuses on the how and the what of prayer. What techniques you got to use, what words you got to use, what posture, what preparation. But I want to show you today that the Bible, when it comes to the key to intercession, doesn't focus on the how and the what. No, no, no. Far more important is focusing on who. So that's what we're going to look at. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who are we? Get those right, right? And it will shape the way you pray and intercede. So firstly, who is God? Well, what's the answer to that question? When we pray, who is God? Who, do we, who is God? What do we need to keep in mind about who God is? Well, the answer is actually in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in that very first line. I'm sure you know it, right? right when you pray, Jesus says, say, our Father in heaven. Right? That's the who of God. Right? We need to know who we're praying to. And when we get that right, that's going to shape the how and the what of prayer. So who is God? God is both Father and in heaven. He is our Father and He is in heaven. I want to suggest to you, you need to have both. In other words, He is both intimate and close and ready to hear our requests, willing to do what we ask, like the perfect Father. But He is also, remember, in heaven. That is, He is holy. He is completely sovereign and mighty. He's the King. He's on the throne. He's all those, you know, big omni-words. He's omnipresent everywhere, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful. Holding both together is really important. And it's, it's different to, for example, both Islam and I guess the God of our popular imagination. See, if God is just Father, but not in heaven, that is not the sovereign Lord, all-powerful Lord of all, then we can take comfort in praying, but Prayer doesn't really actually change anything because he can't do everything. That's sort of like the God of our popular imagination. But if God is in heaven, but he's not our father, and this is really more like Islam, he might be able to do anything, but our prayers don't actually move him, right? He'll do anything that he wants to anyway. Right? Allah's will is supreme no matter what his people say or do. So why bother asking? But having both our father in heaven recognizes those two things in tension. And you can't have prayer without it. So that's the first, who is God? But it's not just who God is that's important, isn't it? We need to, like who the intercessor is, who the prayer is, that's got to be vital, right? And here we come up with a problem because like anytime we talk about the mighty intercessors, especially of the Old Testament, I mean, these are all very special people. You take Abraham. Abraham was called God's friend in Isaiah 41 verse 8. Or what about Moses, another great intercessor? Well, he was so close to God that Exodus 33 says that 
God spoke to Moses as a friend and no one got the access that Moses did to God. Or Elijah in the New Testament, James chapter five says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And then he gives Elijah as an example. And, and you look at Elijah and you think, well, that's not me. You see, we might be able to, we might look at these guys and we think, well, I can see why God would answer their prayers. I see why they're effective intercessors, but hey, I'm not a Moses. You're not Moses or Abraham or Elijah. Well, that's true. I'm not, you're not. But I'll tell you what, someone is, and that someone is even better than they are, which comes to the second thing, right? The second who, who is Jesus? You see, Jesus is the perfect intercessor, isn't he? He is the perfect mediator, the perfect go-between between God and humanity because he is God become man. And then as the son of God, he is the perfect son to the heavenly father. I mean, Abraham was God's friend, but no friend trumps a son, right? You see, look how close the son is to the father. I'm just going to show you a few verses from John chapter 5. Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Which means that when it comes to hearing the Son's requests and prayers, look at this next verse, John eleven forty one. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. You see, when Jesus, the son prays, the father always hears because as the perfect eternal son of God to the father, well, the father loves granting his requests and chooses to do everything that his son asks. And in fact, chooses to do everything through his son. But more than that, Jesus is not only the perfect son, but in his resurrection, and then his ascension, where is he? He is in, where is he? In the very presence of God the Father who is in heaven. He is in heaven. And so we see in, in Hebrews, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. And then also in Hebrews, therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to what? Intercede for them. Right? He is the perfect intercessor. As the Son, He always has the Father's ear. As the eternal King, risen and seated in heaven, well, His intercessions go right to the Father's presence. Who Jesus is makes all the difference. But I want to say it makes all the difference not only to His prayers, right? I mean, that's great in and of, in and of itself. The Bible says that Jesus prays for us. So that's great to know that his prayers for us is always effective. But it also makes a difference to, well, well, look at this next verse. In fact, it's the second half of that Hebrews 4 passage before. After he talks about Jesus being in heaven, it says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, you got this? Who Jesus is makes possible our intercessions. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Who Jesus is changes who we are. So who are you? Who are we? Well, look what Jesus tells us. John 16. Jesus says, though I have been speaking figuratively, 
A time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Let's keep going. John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. And then of course, Galatians 3, look what it says there. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, right? You are all children of God. Jesus the Son makes us sons and daughters of God. We are even closer to God than Abraham, than Moses, than Elijah, or any of the great ones in the Old Testament. They look at us and they envy us. You got that? And Jesus ascended into heaven. He unites us to himself and he takes us into the very throne room of God in heaven so that united to him, our prayers are also before God in heaven. That was a famous photo of John F. Kennedy uh, when he was president in the White House. And, and you know anything about presidents and why you can't just go into the White House, right? You can't just have an audience with, with the president. Only very special people and only very special occasions and, and, and they've got to make an appointment, right? No one can just waltz into the White House and have a chat and spend time with the president. Unless, of course, you're John F. Kennedy Jr., his son. And this is why this picture is so famous. There you have Kennedy and then under his, his working desk is JFK Jr., his son. See, who are we? We are sons and daughters of God in heaven. Right? If you trust and belong to Jesus, God is your father. You are his very precious sons and daughters. Now, just pause for a moment. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I wonder if, if this is something that you have come to understand for yourself, that by trusting in Jesus, you can be a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. If you haven't figured all of that out, please come along to Alpha. Right, starting in about a month's time. We'd love to help you in that journey. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then maybe the biggest hindrance for your prayer is simply feeling unworthy. You ever felt that? Right? You feel unworthy. All of, all of your sin, all of your doubts, all of your confusion, all of your weakness. I'm not worthy to ask God for things. And so you don't pray or you don't really pray. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, right? which we won't have time to look up. You may know the passage. He says, even our human flawed fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. Well, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to his children, to you when you ask? You see, we must stop thinking that we're a slave when we're sons. We must stop acting like paupers, or pauper is a beggar, stop acting like paupers when we're actually princesses. You got that? We are children of God with the same access that Jesus has to God the Father in heaven. All right, so let's tease out what that means for us. Well, the first thing I want to get us to do is obviously to start, to start interceding. And I have just three tips. I mean, whole books have been written on intercession and prayer, and there's some that I can recommend if you'd like to read further. But here's just an introduction. Here's just three tips to get 
get going. And the first one is to start small. The second one is to persist. And the third one is to do it with others. Uh, I want to suggest that prayer is a lot like working out, all right? Um, working out, exercising. And the reason is because faith is a muscle. You've heard that before? Faith is a muscle. You know? And prayer, guess what, is the reflex action of that muscle. And you can't build muscles without working out. You're not going to look like Ryan by doing nothing, all right? You've got to work those muscles. But like working out, you've got to start small, don't you? You've got to persist. And it really helps when you do it with others. So let's have a look. So first thing is to start small and step out. Uh, think of it as concentric circles, circles within circles. Now you want to start with a small circle in the middle where you are, but then you want to ripple outwards one circle at a time. Eventually it'll get bigger and bigger. So with intercession, right, start with the small steps, start with the middle. Ask yourself, what are you already praying about? That's not just focused on you. What, what are the, who are the other people or other things that you're already praying about? Start there, right? That's a good start. And then Find a way to take one step, even if it's a little step, outwards. Um, give you an example. Um, most of you already probably pray for your immediate family, right? Your kids, your spouse, your parents, your siblings. Um, what are you praying for? Uh, probably most uh, immediate in our mind, we're praying for their, their, their health, their well-being, especially in the time of COVID. But what, what's one step further than that? Well, one step further is not just to pray for their physical well-being, isn't it? To, to actually be praying for their spiritual well-being. Maybe that's the step you need to start praying for. Or maybe you're already praying for their spiritual well-being. Well, then for you, take a step outwards from that. Go bigger with those prayers for spiritual well-being and go more specific. For example, pray that your non-Christian parents would actually befriend a Christian. Now, that might really help them, wouldn't it? Or, or pray that your kids would actually love to read the Bible for themselves as they begin to learn how to read. They would love family devotions. Uh, pray that your family member, perhaps your spouse or your sibling, would grow in a particular area of godliness or service or repentance right, this year. You see what I mean? Take that step out. Pray for something that you're not currently praying for. Um, another example, you're already praying for COVID, I'm sure. You're praying for lockdown to end. Well, what's one step further than that? Pray for other countries that are in a far worse position. Or you might know people around you who are finding it hard, harder than you. Pray for them by name. Pray, if you're not already doing so, pray for our government. that we might, They might make wise and right decisions. All right? One step out. Or if you're already praying for your church, I hope you pray for your church. If you're not, maybe that's a big step. Pray for your church. Pray for us. Pray for your church leaders. Well, if you're already praying for your church, have you thought about praying through the church calendar, praying through the events, uh, or ask for prayer points from your pastors and church leaders? Uh, what are the kind of things that we're impacted by that we need prayer for? Right? Ask us and we'd be happy to supply that to you. Now, if you're generally unsure about how to move outwards, right? Especially you're thinking, oh, my prayers, they're just general um, how do I pray more specifically? Well, the answer is, of course, let the Bible shape your prayers, right? Let the Bible shape your prayers. Find out from the Bible, what is God concerned about? What has God revealed in the Bible about his will for us? What he wants to happen in the world and for you as well. And a great place to start is, of course, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer actually spells out not just who we're praying to, but the kind of things that is foremost on God's mind, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread, right? 
It's another topic for another day, but the, the Lord's Prayer is a great place to start. What is God's will? But then here's the other thing. Then you take what God's will is revealed in the Bible and you couple that with your imagination, right? Right? You let your imagination step you out into more bold and specific prayers, taking God's will, coupling with your imagination. So for example, God wants people to know Jesus. We know that, right? He wants people to be saved. Well, how might he do so with the people that you know? How do you imagine, how do you hope and dream that they would, what are the steps in between them coming to know God? Is it for them, for example, to take up an invitation to come to Alpha? Or maybe just to notice that you've posted something on your social media? Is it for them perhaps that they're too comfortable and complacent for God to do something in their life to shake them out of that comfort? Is it for God to maybe put a Christian in their path that they might get to befriend a Christian because you're out of reach for them or you're not close enough to them? You see, you're letting your imagination take the God wants them to be saved and you're trying to fill out the detail. Now you take those things, right? The best intercessors are not afraid to take God's revealed will and use their imaginations and hopes and dreams to then turn them into prayers, to more specific, bold requests to our Father in heaven. Try doing that. That would be a great step to take. Well, the second tip is, of course, to persist, but to thankfully persist. In Luke chapter 18, again, we don't have time to read it, but Jesus tells this famous parable of an unjust judge and the persistent widow. You know this one? Um, The judge is unjust. He's terrible. But this widow just keeps nagging at him. And just to get her nagging off his back, he does what what, what she asks. The point Jesus is making is, well, God is not like the unjust judge. God is the perfect father, the perfect judge. So what do you think he'll do when we, like Abraham, like the widow perhaps, haggle and persist and just keep on hassling God in prayer. Of course, he's going to grant what we ask for if it's in his will. Back to George Mueller. You know what he said? He said, when once I'm persuaded that the thing is right and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. Now, you want to know what that actually looks like? In his uh, autobiography, this is what he wrote. In November, 1844, George says, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. 18 months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. Now, in case you're wondering, these other two didn't get converted until after George Mueller died. And he lived a long life. He lived to his 90s. He prayed for those other two daily for over 50 years, and he never got to see it happen in his lifetime. But God answered his prayer, right? That's what it is like. Good intercessors will persist. And you notice what George Mueller did? He did it with thanksgiving. A lot of us get discouraged and we stop praying big prayers because we focus on what God hasn't done rather than focus on what he has done and count those things and make a note of things. So it really helps, right, to make a note of your prayers. The prayer journals and stuff are important because sometimes you don't realize what God has answered. And then the other thing it helps is my third point, which is to pray in community, pray with others. You see, Jesus says, pray to God, our Father in heaven. He's not just my Father, your Father. He's our Father, which means we need each other 
in intercession in prayer. And I'll give you two reasons why praying with others is so important. Um, we need others to pray with, okay? That's the first reason, right? To pray with others, to pray as a group. Because, you know, when the body of Christ is in agreement and asking together, you can imagine how powerfully effective that is when God's children are all praying and agreement together. The second reason we need each other is this. We need each other's stories. You got that? We need each other's stories. See, sometimes it is hard to be thankfully persistent because our own prayers haven't been answered yet. But you know what? When you share and you pray with others, especially when you do it regularly, like in CG and prayer meetings, you can hear how God has answered their prayers. And you give thanks on their behalf for those answered prayers. And that encourages you to what? To keep praying for yours. Let me conclude. Lockdown has made it hard to look outwards, hasn't it? But if I said before, as I said before, if prayer is using your faith muscles, then like muscles and working out, it's actually going to be the most strengthened in times of trials, not in times of comfort. No one builds muscles lying on the couch. You build muscles by doing tough things, which means we could actually be more effective. We could actually work our faith muscles more, be more prayerful, be more powerfully intercessory in these tough times and trials of lockdown. And that's why we have more opportunities now as a church community to pray than before lockdown. I mean, pretty much almost every weekday we have a prayer meeting, pause and prayer, Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, right? Revival prayer meeting every Thursday night, unreached people groups Friday every month, right? So will you, will you do this? Will you be an Abraham, be an intercessor? Because here's the thing, behind you are people, loved ones, strangers, a city, a country, a world that's broken. So will you determine today to stand, to stand between God and them and to approach your father in heaven and to speak to him on their behalf, to intercede for them and through that to change lives and shake nations in Jesus' name. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, make us, we pray a people passionate about prayer. You invite us to this incredible privilege, we, how, how seldom we use it. From today, we pray that you would shape the sweat community to be one that intercedes both individually and together. Amen.